Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the House of the Lord for worship today. You're familiar with the saying, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Well, the circumstances of life cause us to think God is small and more distant than he really is. And so today we look at the Bible again and realize two big truths. The God of the Bible is bigger than he appears, and at all times he's closer than your circumstances dictate. We'll see that in our readings coming up and in the Word of God. At this time, let's begin with our opening hymn, hymn number 405. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God invites us to come into his presence and to worship him with humble and penitent hearts. Therefore, let us acknowledge our sinfulness and ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. 
Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority alone, I forgive you all of your sin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For all that we need in life, and for the wisdom to use all your gifts with gratitude and joy, hear our prayer, O Lord. For the steadfast assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, and for the courage to stand firm against the assaults of Satan and every evil, hear our prayer, O Christ. For the well-being of your holy church and all the world, and for those who offer here their worship and praise, hear our prayer, O Lord. Merciful God, maker and preserver of life, uphold us by your power and keep us in your tender care. The works of the Lord are great and glorious. His name is worthy of praise. powers of the universe are subject to you. Help us to find peace in your Lordship through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. First lesson is from Proverbs chapter 30. Never preached on this one before, so that is the basis for the sermon text in just a little bit. We read, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. We continue with the anthem still.
Please stand. Jesus' words for the day are taken from Mark chapter 4. We read, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for hymn 433. and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, fellow believers in him. The book of Proverbs is a book packed full of spiritual and practical wisdom and for a reader, a listener like ourselves today, delving into the book of Proverbs, the goal of the book of Proverbs is for you to pay close attention, for you to draw comparison between two things and for you to glean the wisdom that God has there and to apply this then to your spiritual or practical living. Let me give you a couple of examples. Some of my favorites. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. 
So if I'm thinking about being lazy on a day, I don't want to do anything, think about that little creature the ant god made that can carry 10 to 50 times its own weight and it's constantly working. It's always doing something. And I want to be lazy? How about this one? Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Now that one makes sense right off the bat. But then applying that to me, why is it then, if that's what God says is better, to be the poor but blameless person, why is it that we covet and envy the wicked wealthy people? It's something to think about. How about this last one? One of my, one of my real favorites. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Hmm. There's, a, there's a way to deal with people and pets. A proper way. A healthy way. Mishandle a situation? Grab that situation the wrong way? And it's going to come back to bite you. And if that's the way it works on earth, if there are situations that are, there's an appropriate way to deal with something and an inappropriate way to deal something when it comes to people and pets, how much more so with God? If you grab hold of God the wrong way, if you stick your nose in business that is not your own but that rightfully belongs to the Lord, oh boy. What do you think is going to happen next? It takes real wisdom to understand the difference and to apply that. The disciples in the gospel lesson today uh, didn't handle that situation real well at all. And, and if you will, they were drawing comparisons quite frequently in that boat. I mean, on the one hand, you've got somebody sleeping. On the other hand, you've got a whole bunch of disciples that have had a sleepless night and they're exhausted. There's a comparison there and you can kind of see where this is going. You have somebody who's doing no work whatsoever, gets a comfy cushion ride, and you have other people who are doing all of the work, bailing the water out, and they're still not getting ahead of the storm. You've got somebody who's completely at peace with his surroundings, that <laughs> Who knows if he was even snoring. And on the other hand, you've got disciples completely upset, getting worked up. Their anger level is rising to the top, about to boil over until finally it does. And they erupt and they go straight to Jesus, wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Because I don't think they said that very nicely. They showed no wisdom. They accused Jesus, their creator and their Lord, of sin, of apathy. The ant works, Jesus. What are you doing? You're sleeping there lazily while we do everything. You're apathetic. You're not doing any work. And worst of all, you don't care. For your own people, those nearest and dearest to you. Now I understand on earth, one of the typical ways even Christians deal with 
sinful issues is we make this sort of sliding scale. And that's how we deal with a lot that happens in life. For instance, maybe some of you might think today, I don't see what the big deal is. It's not like the disciples hurt anybody. It's not like they murdered anybody. They didn't steal anything. Yeah, maybe they said some tough words to Jesus, but they didn't say any swear words at Jesus. It's not like their language was even bad. I, sure, they were frustrated, but I don't get what the big deal is. Nobody was hurt by any of this stuff. Frankly, Pastor, have you seen the way kids talk to teachers in the classroom today? My guess is they've done a lot worse today in classrooms with the way kids talk to the teachers, with even the way parents grab hold of a situation and, and stick their nose into a situation that they may not understand and think it's the teacher's fault. I mean, come on, cut them some slack. It's the middle of the night. They've been up all night. They've been rowing against the tough wind and waves and they haven't gotten anywhere and they're bailing water out of the boat, they're exhausted, they're frustrated. I mean, who hasn't said tough words when they're spent? Go easy on them. The thing is, that's a sliding scale. God doesn't teach the Christian to judge that way. This is sin. This ought to be disgusting to you. We don't minimize the small sins and only deal with what we perceive to be the big sins are. We as Christians don't, don't look at our circumstances and say, well, sin is okay in this situation and not okay in that situation. We don't ever limit sin to what our, to what our perceived justice should be. Anybody who does, they don't have real wisdom at all. This is sin. What Job did in the Old Testament was sin. What the disciples did here was sin. And when you and I do the same thing and lash out at, Lord, at the Lord with whatever circumstances we're frustrated by, it is the exact same. A man named Agur, A-G-U-R, wrote, the section of Proverbs that we're in today. And he wrote what he did in chapter 30, my guess is after learning the same lessons we've talked about so far in the sermon, after learning what the disciples went through that day too. And I, did, I wanted to include this section in your bulletin, I didn't do it, but verses 2 and 3 of chapter 30, I, I want to say those to you too. Here's verse 2. Here's what Agur confessed and, and admitted about himself. He said, Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. That's verse 2, two verses before our text. A, a little different translation, the NASB from 1995, which is very, very close to the Hebrew, it translates what Agur said just a little differently, and it makes it a little more vivid. I want you to hear this. Surely I am more stupid than any man. Actually, the Apostle Paul said something very similar, too, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he said, Christ 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Can I translate that a little bit differently for you? This is my own paraphrase. The Apostle Paul is saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the most stupid sinner of them all in the whole history of the world. Do you understand what they're confessing? They're not saying people aren't important to God. That's not the point of comparison here in Proverbs. But what each of these people are confessing is, compared to God, we recognize our limitations. We recognize how small we are and how big he is. Compared to God, we're a brute. Compared to God, we're idiots. Tell me what person in the world compared to the almighty, all-knowing Lord isn't a fool. We all are. Agar even took it a step further. He didn't just confess his own stupidity, but he said, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. That's verse 3. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I ascended to the, to the level of God himself. He's saying, even if you understand 30 chapters of Proverbs, if you could apply those spiritually and practically in your life, knowing all of those things, it still wouldn't put you on the level of God. We're nowhere close. He's in a league of his own. If only colleges and universities would understand this today, if only people pursuing their doctorates when they write their thesis, if only they would put that disclaimer in, in their paper or their future book when they write. Here's the foreword. I just want you, future reader, to understand I am one of the biggest idiots in all of the world. Just before you read my book. They don't tell you that today. Instead, what do they do? They push their creative evolutionary ideas and fantasies out and they confuse so many people that somebody other than God made this world and, and deals with this world. They push population control and they tell you there's no way a, a, a God can manage all of these people on Mother Earth. We have to protect Mother Earth. We, we can't have so many people. Didn't Jesus feed the 5,000? Doesn't he have a history of taking care of anybody who's around him? And yet what do we do? These people parade their answers as if they're the greatest things. And that's not all. Lately, boy, science has risen to the level of God himself, if not even outranking God. And of course, people have been mixing politics in with this as well. And so what happens when you take God out of the mix? Well, then you get humanism. <clears throat> people think they're the greatest. People think they have all the answers and they look at this sinful world and they try to put the band-aid of human wisdom and answers on the problem where God has been the answer the whole time. <clears throat> you understand in the gospel lesson today what the disciples did was really a test of humanism. We're experienced fishermen. We've got the knowledge. We understand science and how it works. You take a bucket of water and you pitch it out of the boat, you're supposed to be okay. And they weren't. Had they kept pursuing their human wisdom and their human experience, that boat would have gone down and they would have died. 
And what did they do at the end of it? As a last resort, oh, finally, as a last resort, we're going to turn to the Lord and we're just going to be angry with him for not doing anything about it the entire time. That's not faith. That's an accusation. What Agur and the rest of these guys did, instead of turning to global idiocy for their answers, they confessed their own human limitations and that they weren't the answer. How foolish we are compared to you, Lord. And look at what Agur says in verse 4. This is a part of our text. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? Meaning, I want to know that family. Anybody related to somebody who can do that, there's somebody to honor. Surely you know. Faith just sees Jesus. Faith just trusts the triune God. Faith sees Jesus as caring even when he's sleeping. Faith sees Jesus in control even when he's ascended on high and not visible to our, to our eyes. Faith sees Jesus and the triune God as perfectly managing this world according to his wisdom and rule and taking care of everything in spite of all of these doomsday scenarios that every year people continue to come out with. The Lord is still in control. We still come here and we read the scriptures and we glean from them and learn from them that for idiots and fools and sinners and those who have been defiant in the face of God, when they repent and turn to the Lord, there's a future kingdom in Jesus Christ for them. A perfect one, a holy one, that, that's not like this at all. But that's a gift from God. Now, I preach that every Sunday to you. I, I tell you that day after day if you come to my office. What gives me the ability and the authority? I'm just a human guy. I'm an idiot on my own. What gives me the ability to say that with confidence to you? And what gives me the right to expect you're going to come listen to this message week after week? Because I haven't been to eternity yet. The only way any of us can know anything like this is what Agur says, is if heaven comes here and tells us. Is if somebody from eternity comes here and tells us what eternity is like and what God is like and what God is going to do. And one person did that. And only one. Only Jesus came down from heaven. Only Jesus stood up in a boat and on the authority of his own voice, nature recognized the fingerprints and the voice print of God himself. And the wind and the waves stopped immediately. I know our lesson today said it died down, but it wasn't some slow trickle. It was immediate. Only Jesus stood up to sinners like you and me and gave us 
the loving truth of God's word and proved it when he told sin to stop immediately when he gave his life on the cross. That's incredible. And only Jesus proves himself to be God and man when he speaks to us and says, I'm not angry with you sinners. I still love and care for you because I fully forgive all of those sins you've done. Turn to me and be saved. Trust me. There's a future kingdom for you. I've prepared it for you. There's no God who compares to this. There's no one like him at all. There's no comparison to his love and care. Peter and John learned that lesson. A couple of years after this incident in Mark chapter 4 is another chapter, Acts chapter 4. In the book of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested. And later, I believe the same day, they were released from arrest. And Peter and John went to a local house where some believers had gathered and they joined that group of Christians in prayer. And they started their prayer like this. Sovereign Lord. You know what they're saying with that? You're the one and only Lord. You're the one and only ruler. There is nobody like you. Even we're not like you. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Oh, they didn't doubt their creator. They gave full glory to God. You're in control of everything, Lord. And by praying to that Lord, do you know what they're saying? We know you still care for your people. By the word of God, we see that too, which is why we gather here to apply what Agur finally says in verse 5 of our lesson for today. For the voice of God that is so powerful, what would real wisdom do? It would do this. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We treasure the word. We take to heart the word. We've learned how to handle the word of God. You don't grab it by the ears. You don't doubt it. You don't deny it. You don't give up on it. You treasure it. You place your confidence in it. Because it shows you the God who is Lord of all and the one who loves and cares for you as revealed in Jesus Christ. That's real wisdom. Amen. Please stand. We join together in confessing our faith found on page 9 or on screen with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, 
he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. This time the offerings are brought forward. Heavenly Father, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, the Proverbs tell us. By your word, give us insight into sin, and by your Son, save us from it. Keep us spiritually grounded in a proper perspective that no matter the circumstances, we trust you and look to you for your perfect care. Watch over Linda Hammon as she continues through the grind of health testing and physical life matters. She's in unfamiliar waters, Lord, so please steady her course and direct all things in her life to bring her, just like the disciples, safely to the other side. We pray this in your name and now join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He sends the Holy Spirit to testify that we are his children and to strengthen us when we are weak. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and thanks and honor and glory forever and ever.
The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always. of our Lord Jesus Christ, given unto death for all of your sin. Take a drink. This is the true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you shed on the cross for all of your sin. Congregation may be seated. 